How's it going, everybody? And welcome back for another episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer, and uh, there were obviously last week was a big, big week for the standings. Uh, we had something shuffle. St. Mary's now looks like they're solidly going to be the number two. Uh, BYU did not have a good week. They had their one shot, and they may have. We'll see, but that might have been their last shot at a as a red as a resume building win uh, they may not get an opportunity in the tournament and we'll see but we're going to kind of go over all of that uh this week uh, we're going to go over the standings and scenarios we'll go over uh the the season awards uh, those are going to be coming up here in the next week or so uh and then we're going to go over uh, the big week for gonzaga as they're going to be at usf and at saint mary's so first we'll we'll start with the standings and the scenarios of where we are at this stage. So we have one week left of conference play. We don't have many games left. Most everyone has two. USF has three left. So let's kind of let's run it down and uh, just we'll map it out. So Gonzaga is is the conference champion. Uh, they are 12 and0. And so they will go into Vegas as the one seed as expected. St. Mary's is at 10 and three and they've all but locked up uh, the, the two seed. I, there's one scenario where they could end up not being the two seed. And it's if they go zero and two and USF goes three and zero, and that would include beating Gonzaga. So we'll see, but that's the one and only scenario where St. Mary's does not end up uh, the two seed, but I don't see them losing both their games this week. Then you have a jumble between three and actually now it's three and seven. As this has opened up, you have USF and Santa Clara both tied at eight and five, BYU at seven and six, San Diego seven and seven, and Portland out of nowhere is now six and six. So, so much of this actually rides on what happens with USF, but we'll start with actually the 6-7 um, fight between San Diego and Portland. They both have 500 conference records. <clears throat> USD at 7-7 seven and seven and Portland at 6-6. Six and six. And this is important because this is staying out of that opening round, having to play one fewer game in the WCC tournament. So for San Diego this week, they have St. Mary's and USF. And, and since starting league play six and three, San Diego has gone one and four, including a loss to Portland on Saturday. Uh, that stretch also includes lo a loss to St. Mary's as well. So looking at where San Diego is right now, they're, they're kind of on a, they're on a skid right now, but a large part of that was because they were facing some of the better teams in the conference. They faced Gonzaga in this backstretch. They faced St. Mary's in this backstretch. But then they also, again, they lost to Portland on Saturday. And Portland, on the flip side, 
has been playing really well. Uh, this week they have they are at Portland and they are at Santa Clara. And Portland, since starting league play two and six, have now won four straight WCC games and five overall, including their win against USF um, a couple weeks ago. And in that stretch, Portland's averaging 81 points a game. Portland has to be at least one game better than San Diego to take sixth place and has a more favorable matchup with Pacific. I think Portland is going to end up the sixth seed and that didn't seem possible two weeks ago or even remotely in the conversation. Because if you also look, because again, San Diego's looking at St. Mary's and USF and both St. Mary's and USF are now, are vying for not only seeding the WCC tournament, but they're also staring at their NCAA resumes. San Diego game for USF will be the season, uh, the regular season finale. And for St. Mary's, it's going to be the tune-up for Gonzaga. I have a hard time believing that St. Mary's and USF are not going to be ready for San Diego in either of these matchups. They know how important it is. Uh, So just looking at it, I see a scenario where Portland's going to leapfrog uh, San Diego here at the last, at the last moment and Portland's going to be that sixth seed, which is, again, that's going to be, it's an amazing, it's amazing for the program. I considering where they've been the last few years. Uh, I'm, I'm just happy to see them um, be so much better and so much more competitive than they have in the past. And we'll talk about Portland um, a little bit later. So let's get into what we also have with USF, Santa Clara, and BYU. So that that third, fourth, and fifth seeds are important. The third seed makes it so that you do not have to face Gonzaga in the semifinals. So it's really important for all three of these teams because they don't, they want to have a, at least a better shot at getting through the championship game because St. Mary's is the easier path than going through Gonzaga. So again, USF and Santa Clara are in a deadlock at eight and five. And right now USF holds the tiebreaker due to their sweep of Santa Clara. BYU is one game back and is home for LMU and Pepperdine. And on paper, those should be, those should be W's. But we also know that BYU struggled just last week with both of those teams, not last week, but two weeks ago with LMU and Pepperdine on the road. And for the sake of this conversation, and we'll go through different scenarios, I'm going to assume BYU holds serve at home and gets these two wins. Because I will say they played much better on Saturday against St. Mary's, even though that ended up in a loss. They ended up trailing by as many as 16, but, but made a hell of an effort to get back into that contest late. Okay, so if they pick up those two wins, that means they will finish nine and six with no other changes to, to what has happened, BYU would be tied with Santa Clara and USF. So that means it's all up to what happens with Santa Clara and USF. Santa Clara has two games left. They're at Pepperdine and then they're home for Portland. And Santa Clara handled Pepperdine the first time around and I would expect that 
to be the case again. But what about Portland? Portland already has a win against San Francisco, and they're riding the hot hand right now. Chris Austin, Tyler Robertson, Moses Wood have all been coming up big the last few weeks, and the big night could come from any of them. We've seen a triple-double from Tyler Robertson. We've seen uh, Chris Austin drop 26 on USF. We've seen Moses Wood also, also have big games recently against LMU and alike. The pilots also may have added incentive because they were very upset after their game against Santa Clara that was supposed to happen last week was canceled. And there may still be bitterness. I, I would bet that there is still bitterness about that game that was canceled last week because they have been playing so well. So I would expect them to come in the Santa Clara playing very well and give them one hell of a fight. Now, if Santa Clara were to split, that means they would be nine and six. And if that were the case, BYU then holds the tiebreaker against Santa Clara because they have a win against USF or Santa Clara split. Actually, now that I think about that, no, that is right. Because of the USF win, that, is, that would be the separation uh, between those two teams. So if Santa Clara sweeps, they go 2-0. They're now 10-5. and Now it depends on USF. They are the three seed right now with a tiebreaker. But there won't be a tiebreaker needed because USF has three games this week, unlike the other two who have two games. They're at Pacific, they're home for Gonzaga, and then they're on the road again for San Diego. They'll be the only of the only team of this group that will finish with the full 16 games. And this is a, it, it's a dangerous week for USF because they have two very winnable games surrounded by the behemoth in the middle. And you could see very easily how you could have all your focus on Gonzaga. And Pacific and San Diego could be either like the trap game or the letdown game or whatever you want to call it. It's the foot, but to me, the Gonzaga game is like the icing on the cake because right now USF is still on many brackets is solidly in the tournament. And they have two, and the two games that they need are Pacific and San Diego. They don't need the Gonzaga game. Because they've already lost to Portland, what they cannot have happen is to, to pick up another Q3 or Q4 loss. And if that does happen, then they're going to be sitting, sitting and playing in the NIT rather than the NCAA tournament. Now, also, if they do go one and two, they lose to Gonzaga and then lose to either Pacific or San Diego, seeding-wise, they're in danger of falling all the way to fifth. So let's get into, into that. Well, let's get into like all the scenarios, I should say. 
So if USF, so scenario one is if USF pulls the upset, goes three and zero. That means they will be the three seed. This is assuming that St. Mary's wins at least one game this week, winning the game against San Diego. Uh, because in the in the in the highly unlikely scenario where USF goes three and zero and St. Mary's goes zero and two, this is the one window, the one opportunity that USF actually has to be the two seed, and St. Mary's would be the three. Because that means that USF would finish ten and five. And that means that St. Mary's would finish. Sorry, that means USF would finish 11 and five and St. Mary's would finish 10 and five. And so USF would have a half game lead and also have the win against Gonzaga. So they would leapfrog St. Mary's. But that is the only scenario where they are the two. So if USF pulls the upset, goes three and zero, and St. Mary's wins at least one game, USF will be the three, period. Now, if Santa Clara then goes 2-0, they'll be the four. And then BYU will likely be the five. I say likely, I will get to the one weird scenario that could, could happen. In the scenario, USF goes 3-0. If Santa Clara goes 1-1 and BYU goes 2-0, BYU becomes the four and Santa Clara is the five. But if BYU goes one and one instead of two and oh, BYU will be the five and Santa Clara will be the four. All right. So if USF goes two and one, which is probably the most likely scenario, they'll be 10 and six. And let's say Santa Clara also goes 2-0, as I think they should. They'll be 10-5. and five. In that scenario, Santa Clara is the 3, USF is the 4, BYU is the 5. If USF goes 2-1 and one and Santa Clara goes 1-1, one one, then USF will be the 3. Now this gets all sort of weird, or at least there's more scenarios. Like what if USF goes one and two? So that means they'll be nine and seven if they go one and two in this stretch. If Santa Clara goes two and zero oh, and BYU goes two and zero, oh, then Santa Clara is the three, BYU is the four, and USF drops to the five. And the same goes that USF would still be the five seed if they go one and two, Santa Clara goes one and one and BYU goes two and oh, because now BYU will jump to the three seed, Santa Clara's the four and USF five. And if you, and if we have that same scenario, but BYU goes one and one, Santa Clara's the three, USF is the four, BYU is the five. I know there's a lot in here about if what and all these other scenarios, but that's kind of where, where it is right now. There's going to be a lot of shifting between Santa Clara, USF, and BYU. Oh, and did I mention the one weird scenario where BYU might not even finish fifth? How about this? Remember, BYU is set currently seven and six. 
San Diego is only a half game back at seven and seven, as is Portland at six and six. If BYU goes 0-2 in the unlikely event, they go 0-2. And and San Diego splits or and Portland splits. Portland and San Diego would be the five and six seeds and BYU would be the seven. Because at seven and eight, BYU would be a half game back of both both San Diego and Portland. As crazy as that sounds, mathematically, that is possible with one week to go. And I'll, and on Twitter, I'll put up all of these scenarios so that uh, you can kind of see and map it out yourself. Cause there, I, I know there's a lot here and there's just so many moving parts to all of this. But again, my, the scenario I see most likely happening is USF goes two and one, Santa Clara will go two and oh, BYU will likely go two and oh. So your three, your three, four, five in order are going to be Santa Clara, USF, BYU. That's what I think. And on the other end, again, I think your six is going to be Portland and then your seven is San Diego. So some there are going to be some minor shakeups, I think, in the standings as we see them today uh, versus what we're going to see them after Saturday's games. All right. And we're going to, so we're going to transition here to the, those season awards. And I think there's a lot to kind of get, there's at least some to get into here. Cause I think there's some conversations to be had about who are maybe are some dark horse candidates in here, because I'm, I'm going to list off who I think is going to win all of these. And these are likely the people who are going to win all of these awards. But then I think that there's some of the, the some of the categories where there are clear winners, but definitely others who should be part of that conversation because they've been so good and so important to their teams so far this season. And I'll also preface all of this that I think Chet Holmgren has a strong case for three of these awards. And if the league does decide to like not give all three to Chet, um, he'll at least have one of them. All right, so I'll get newcomer and sixth man out of the way because uh, I think these are more straightforward. Newcomer is Chet. It's Chet Holmgren. And there's not even a question in my mind that that's who it's going to be. And I don't know how you would pick anybody else. He's, he's, like, he's one of the best 10 players in college basketball. He's like one of the best five players in all of college basketball right now. He's not going to be picked any lower than number three. Uh, in the NBA draft. He's the whole package. We've seen it all year long. He's the newcomer. But if they decided they wanted to break up the awards, uh, Foos Troy or Houston Millette are the, are the next best bets on that list. Foos has been so good for BYU, especially the way he had to come in uh, mid-season and carry more of the load than the even BYU was anticipating he would need to. And Houston Millette has been just so good for Pepperdine early on. I mean, we, we saw his outing against um, both 
BYU and Gonzaga. Like he played so well in those games. Um, he's going to be a star in this league for a long, long time. And then sixth man. I think this comes down to two, and I think I know who the one is. And it's almost on a, I don't want to say it's on a technicality because uh, this player totally deserves the award, but I think it comes down to either Anton Watson or Tommy Cousy. And in my mind, it would have been Tommy Cousy had he played these last four games coming off the bench. But because he was inserted into the starting lineup last week um, for the first time since December, I think that kind of disqualified him from his candidacy in this award. Um, Kuzi has been so important to what St. Mary's does. Uh, he was named uh, player of the year just this past week, but Anton Watson has been the glue guy for Gonzaga off the bench. He is such an efficient player offensively, defensively. He really is just the one guy that they have who is going to do whatever is do whatever is asked of him and fill a role that they need. He would be a starter on almost any other team in the league. Actually, he would be a starter on any other team in the league. And, and I think that's where like I have the, the slight edge to me goes to Watson and I would have picked Kuzi if he started, came off the bench, all those games. He hasn't. So I'm going to give it to Watson. Either of them would, either of them would be really good. Uh, six man of the year award winners. All right. So now player of the year. This one's drew Timmy period. He's a leading scorer at 19 per game on the WCC's best team. He shoots nearly 60% from the field. He's willing to defer. He's been willing to defer to the other great players on his team uh, but when they've needed him to step up, he's there. Uh, so I'm going to talk about a couple dark horses. And the first might be more obvious and the other less so. The first one is his teammate, Andrew Nebhart. And he was, he was playing really well in the non-conference. And he has played so much better in conference play. He's averaging a little over 13 a game, shooting 50% from the field, a league best 96% from the free throw line. He's the league leader with seven assists a game. And the number that is ridiculous is his 5.3 assist the turnover ratio. Nebhardt has been so efficient running this offense that that now there's a conversation about whether or not Nebhardt is actually the best point guard that the program has ever had. And there have been a lot of really good ones. He orchestrates the best offense in the country near perfection. He never seems out of control. And that's what you want from your point guard. And overall, like the 5.3 is just his in-conference assist to turnover. He's sixth in the nation overall in assist to turnover. The other name I think that deserves some consideration, he's kind of falls into a diff couple of different categories, is Jan Masalski. And 
And to me, it's like, it's, it's because of the value he brings to his team. I mean, the numbers are there, but he is probably more valuable to his team than maybe anyone else in the league this year. His presence turned USF from a year-in-year-out borderline NIT team to an NCAA tournament team. In conference play, he's, he has, he's almost at 14.5 points a game, league-best 12 rebounds, 2.5 blocks, which is second-best in the league. He's been a clear difference maker for USF. He's also a name that should have some consideration for DPOI, but that but that name already has Chet's name engraved on that thing. Because that one, Chet's a clear defensive player of the year. And again, like, so back to my, a little bit more on Masalski, it's just like he is, I, I would have to dig and dig to find like all of his plus minuses from the court throughout the course of the season. But he, he makes so much of a difference for that team because he, turns defensive possessions into one into one opportunity for the opposition. He cleans the board so well, he protects the rim so well that it allows Bouye and Shabazz and and their perimeter players to really take more chances because that's really how that's what they're so good at is disrupting on the perimeter. But now they have someone behind them to to make sure that that if they get by that there's someone to protect the rim, which they have not had in a long, long time. So let's get to DPOY. Yes, Holmgren will win it. And Masalski should be in the conversation too. But another guy I feel that should get talked about more is Logan Johnson. And he may be the best one-on-one defender in the league. The way he hounds opposing guards the way he chases guys down, the, the energy he brings night in, night out. I know if you're an opponent of St. Mary's, he is the type of guy who just drives you nuts because he's the gnat that just won't go away. And the numbers back, up, back this up. He's the league leader in steals at 2.4. He's eighth in the nation in defensive win shares at 2.2. And this is more anecdotal, but take a look at the last two matchups with USF, where he has been the primary defender on Jamari Bouye. In, in the last three halves of basketball, Bouye has scored a grand total of six points on two from 14 from the field. And Bouye is unquestionably one of the best guards in the conference. No one, no one doubts that. And Logan Johnson has made, has made his life hell in the two matchups against, against the Gales. I know he won't be player defensive player of the year, but I think he deserves some serious consideration for it. All right. Now coach of the year. I mean, Mark Few is going to win again. Herb Sendek and Todd Golden also deserve a lot of credit and deserve some consideration. And this might be one of Randy Bennett's finest coaching jobs. 
you look around that roster, you don't see the quote star and somehow they're still going to be in second place. They're still going to be in the NCAA tournament. All of that. It's, there's a lot of really good candidates. Um, and this name is the one I think is a bit of a dark horse. It's been on Twitter, especially in the last week and last few days. And I agree. It's Shantae Leggins in Portland. You have to understand how bad Portland was before this season. The, the Pilots now have six conference wins this season. And I mentioned this a little earlier. That is more than the last four seasons combined. They're going to have a winning season for the first time since 2014-15. And he's done that all within his first year with essentially a brand new roster, a new starting five. He had to build this team from almost scratch and they already look like a team to contend with. They're no longer the afterthought of the conference. You have to remember that Portland's on your schedule. Otherwise, they're going, they're going to bite you. And that's why, like, if, if I was going to give it to someone else, like, just how good they have been and how much they have they gained everyone's respect again, regained the respect, and Portland's no longer the doormat. And that's all due to Shantae Leggins' coaching job and, and what he's done within his first year. All right, so now we'll round back to the games at hand this week and mainly the two big games this week with Gonzaga. This is going to be the hardest stretch of conference play for the Zags. And this week, they're getting essentially an NCAA tournament weekend before we head to Vegas. They're going to be at USF and at St. Mary's. They're coming off a good win at Saint, against Santa Clara on Saturday, and it was a completely different outcome from the first round between those two. Santa Clara lost by 32 in the first. They only lost by 12 in the second and were within 10 for most of the time. P.J. Pipes had an incredible game of 27, but Santa Clara didn't get much from anybody. Anybody else, especially the front line, where you only got 13 combined points for Brankich, Justice, and Brown. And when Chet was rolling right there in the middle of conference play, you almost kind of forgot about Drew Timmy. To an extent, not forget about him, but like so much of the focus was on Chet that Timmy started to kind of fall into the shadows a bit. And in the last couple of weeks, he's reminded everybody that he's still one of the best players in the country. Uh, he had 23 more on Saturday and uh, Nebhart and Bolton combined for 39. But it, overall, it was a poor shooting night for Gonzaga because they only shot 40% from the field. And now they face the two best defensive teams in the conference, aside from themselves, on the road. And they are the two teams that seemingly have played the, them best in conference until Santa Clara, at least we're, we're going uh, by margin of victory. USF had a great first half plan and trailed only by three before they ran out of gas in the second. St. Mary's was able to 
impose their pace of play on Gonzaga like they do everybody else. They left a lot of easy shots on the court. Gonzaga got the lead up to 21 at one point, but St. Mary's was able to cut it back to eight within three minutes. So Gonzaga knows these two teams are not going to give up. They're going to fight and claw all the way down to the end. And so the key for Gonzaga is their defense. USF is obviously one of the more challenging teams to play defensively. Bouye and Shabazz are going to be incredibly difficult to contain. I believe it was Shabazz in the first go around who got into foul trouble early. And I think that really hampered what, what they were able to do, even though they held their own for, for the most part in the first half. And they also did a pretty good job of Andrew Timmy in the first half, but Timmy was able to make his own adjustments. And in the second half, uh, really came, really came out strong. So for, so for Gonzaga, it's going to be about containing those guards, making sure that they don't get into a rhythm, keeping Masalski off the boards as much as possible and not having someone like a an X factor like either Kunin or Stefanini start to get going because uh, we saw uh, last week that Stefanini stepped up big time again in the game against St. Mary's. And the challenge against St. Mary's is even though they aren't a great defensive team or offensive team, you don't know where it's going to come from. Kuzi won player of the year this week, and he is the fifth different St. Mary's player to win the award. They're so balanced that it doesn't allow you the opportunity to help onto others. As an example, like even if you were trying to double Matthias Toss in the post, he's such a good and willing passer that you, that if you leave your man, Toss will fi find that person cutting to the basket or open on the three-point line. And it also looks like St. Mary's has really started to find its offense. They had already started to find their offense in the last month or so. And we saw some of that against Gonzaga. And we really saw that against both uh, USF and BYU over the, over the weekend. St. Mary's looks so they're playing their best basketball right now, which I think is one of like the, the big differences that we're seeing in these St. Mary's teams. Many times we saw St. Mary's teams, They'd be playing very well early on. They'd be playing well late December, early January. And then sometimes that they would, they might have a lull in the back half of conference play. That has not been the case. They have played some of their, they've played maybe their best basketball here in the last few weeks. And they're going to get Gonzaga on the back end of their toughest stretch of conference play. So I think so for Gonzaga, it's really just making sure that they can. I think it's chasing St. Mary's off the three-point line because that's how they stayed in a lot of games, whether it be Dukas or Bowen or Kuzi. Kuzi has been so good over the last last few weeks. I think I saw a number. He's shooting 48% over his last five games from three-point range. Um, that's about his season average anyway. Uh, but chasing chasing them off the three-point line is probably the key for Gonzaga and forcing them into the key 
basically forcing them toward Timmy and Holmgren. And not that I think it's like a danger or whatnot for Gonzaga in the grand scheme of things. But if there ever was a time that Gonzaga might lose a game in conference, this might be it. They're coming off a tough game against Santa Clara, and they'll be hitting the road against two teams that are basically built to beat them. USF has not played since last Thursday. They have a game tonight against Pacific, so they should be pretty well rested for Gonzaga. St. Mary's is coming off a great week with wins over USF and BYU, and they'll have San Diego before the heavyweight fight on Saturday. St. Mary's could get a Zags team that's either softened up or already beaten. And I say, but I will say this, I think if USF is the one to pull the upset and beats Gonzaga on Thursday, I think Saturday might be rough for St. Mary's because I've seen enough of Gonzaga over the years to know what happens to the next team Gonzaga plays after they lose. And it's usually not pretty. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming service. Um, I'll be tweeting out all these different scenarios um, on, on my Twitter at posts by Zach um, and right after I put up the episode. Um, and then you can kind of wrap your brain around all of these different um, situations that we're going to have in the next week. It's going to be exciting. It's going to, there's going to be a lot of shifting. I, and it'll be really fun to see where we're going to land for Vegas because this might be the most competitive a WCC tournament we have seen in a long, long time. And there's a lot of interesting uh, stories I think that are going to come out of this. So we'll, We'll see how it goes. Again, uh, I'm Zach Farmer. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time.